Marvelites, you're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale March 2nd, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Strata. And I'm Alana Hernson. Yeah, yeah, Alana! Welcome back! Welcome back! Wow, that was so beautiful. Thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. I do a lot of singing these days with my daughter because she likes to sing and so half the time we're talking it's in song form and so yeah these pipes get a lot of workout it's fine uh alana (laughs) you've been on the show before um so you're a veteran how do you feel about talking about some comics today oh ryan i am so excited to talk about some comics today it is such a refreshing thing whenever we have time set aside just to be like we're going to talk about comics and nerd out as much as possible because i feel like we don't have the opportunity to do that in our daily right, lives I just say as much that as we would like Before we started to. recording, hmm. Alana straight up was like, I need to talk about X-Men. I had to like stop the conversation because I wanted to save it for this podcast. Like she, she was so hyped to talk X-Men. I'm never not hyped to talk X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a damn good issue. Um, and it's real fun. And it's got sweet, sweet boy, Modoc in it again two issues in a row i'm racking my brain brain is being racked i don't remember modok ever showing up in an x-men comic two issues in a row let alone another issue oh truly then this is the greatest era of x-men comics ever if you give me some modok in there but we're going to get to that a little bit later before we dive into our books this week alana uh please give a refresher to our listeners of who you are, and what you do here at Marvel. Yes, hello, dear listeners. Um, My name is Alana, and I am now the Associate Manager of Social Media here at Marvel. So I help run all of our social media channels from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. You may see me typing away on the Marvel Unlimited Twitter, uh, as well as all of our other social handles, TikTok, everything. So if you're not following Marvel already, shame on you, number one. I'm personally offended, but now is the time because I get to do so many fun things over there. Uh, Alana, I think I've decided to join TikTok as myself, as Agent M. Finally. I think that's a good idea. I think that's the best idea. No, genuinely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So watch out for that when I have the time to do all the TikToking. All right, let's do the thing because this is the official Marvel podcast of Marvel Comics. We're going to run you through the brand new issues out this week. We're going to give you our picks of the week. We each have one, even though I think we each could have had like two or more. <laughs> Easily. There's a lot of good books to talk about. We're going to um, give some awards to a whole host of other books. We'll get into naming that award, hopefully something risque, dangerous, and sexy. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't looked at the list of lines, but after that, we're going to get into what's on Marvel Unlimited, including some brand new Infinity Comics, some great, ooh, a big launch, two, ooh, look at them launches. We're going to get into all that and so much more, plus a reading club where we dive into Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the first six issues with uh, Marvel Publishing's Lauren Bissom. She heads up storytelling for our younger audiences in really cool ways. We'll get into all that later on in the episode. But first things first, we got to get our picks out of the way. 
and I'm just going to go first. Bull in a China shop. I'm running roughshod. I'm saying my pick is what if Miles Morales became Captain America, the first in our new What If Miles Morales series. It's come on. Look, everybody, if you've listened to the show long enough, you know what if is my favorite thing in all of Marvel because the potential is so huge. We got our dude, Cody Ziegler, writing it. Art by Paco Medina, inks by Walden Wong, Victor Olazaba, Sean Parsons, colors by Chris Sotomayor, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and a bunch of really friggin' good variant covers. Like, covers and variant covers. If you're a fan of variants, there's some really awesome ones in here. Brian Stelfreeze, Kari Andrews, uh, Torin Clark, who we've become fans of, Ivan Coelho, Humberto Ramos, like so many, on top of the already great cover by Sara Pakeli and Alejandro Sanchez. So there's a lot going on for it before you even crack this open. But once you do, you see our remit is what if Miles Morales became Captain America? So this is an alternate reality story. The first page intersperses uh, Miles's. Um, path in in his time with Steve Rogers and what he went through and how Miles is a good dude. This is just who he is. He's a good guy, good kid. He wants to do well. We actually jump into the past and see some of the history that has led to our Miles in this storyline and then jump to four years later in the, the sort of the present time. He is rocking the suit. It is um, the vibe of the Captain America costume. A little bit more like uh, when Bucky was Captain America. It's a, it's a very, very cool look. I don't want to give too much away, uh, but there's just so much to love here. You got Cody's dialogue, action, pacing, everything going on. And Paco Medina, who's been proving for 10 plus years at Marvel that he just has this this way with the writer that gives it that forward momentum. And I think the two of them together really prove uh, to, to make a kick-ass book. There's a great moment in here too, which will kind of tie this series together. You see how this factors into upcoming issues. Cause we know there's, there's a whole series of these, what if miles Morales books. And we've even seen in the miles Morales book, uh, miles Morales, Spider-Man, he's kind of touched on the multiverse a little bit. So there's, a whole bunch of things going on. This story will continue into the rest of the series, even though the next issue is about Miles Morales becoming a Wolverine. I don't know. I guess you're going to have to read it, True Believer. All right. My pick of the week, it's Strange Number 1, and it's written by Jed McKay with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, inks by Don Ho with Roberto Paggi, colors with Java Tartaglia and Felipe Sobrario, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Okay. I have been reading Doctor Strange books for the longest time. Um, it was one of the first books that I've read. I used to go to my friend's house because his dad used to collect Doctor Strange books. And that was his like jam. And I remember flipping through those issues and just being obsessed with Clea. And then to see her take on this mantle of Sorcerer Supreme is a dream come true for me. Like just seeing her completely own it and make it her own really. In this issue, we have Dr. Doom showing up at the Sanctum Sanctorum to pretty much be like, all right, Dr. Strange is dead. Uh, I've come here to claim the Sorcerer, Sorcerer Supreme uh, role. Clea's like, I don't know who the hell you think you are, but it is mine. I got it, um, despite getting it in a weird way. Doesn't matter. Still mine. So there's a little scuttle there going on. On top of that, we have Wong coming in and Wong is like super hungover. He's partied too hard. Cleo's like, let's go get some coffee because the coffee here, terrible. Here being Earth, 
She was just like, let's go to this uh, extra dimensional farmer's market and get some dark dimension coffee, which as a coffee lover myself, I need ASAP. Um, I just imagine it being the purest shade of black. <laughs> um, no milk, no sugar, just maybe on fire. Even if you pour milk know. and sugar in it, it doesn't change it color. It black. <laughs> it's just, it stays black. For- and it doesn't get any sweeter. No, like it, that's not going to work. Never cools down. Like it just sounds like the perfect cup of coffee, to be honest. We also get back to the dog who bonds with Clea and is just like, hey, like this is great, but like, where's my master? Like I, I, I miss Strange. Um and we see her trying to pretty much just fix everything right away. And the result of that is something that I don't want to spoil for anybody else. I remember I read it. I saw it. I immediately slacked Ryan and was just like, what? <laughs> this was the last thing I was expecting in this book. And I love it. Uh, one of the things I wanted to add is like, yes, Clea is Sorcerer Supreme of the of, of Earth right now in this dimension. But she's still also Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension. So yes. she's mm-hmm. like double fisting Sorcerer Supreme duties and power. <laughs> like, do not mess with Clea. No. Also double fisting Dark Dimension coffee. Oh, no, as no, you no, do. No. I can't carry over the double fisting repetition here, but I will just say Clea's just like sass and dialogue throughout this issue mm-hmm is unmatched she will not take anyone's bs and is just so funny doing it even when she's talking to doom she's like i don't i don't have patience for you right now go away just go away (laughs) i guess from there it's time to talk about my pick for this week which if you know me is not remotely a surprise to anyone it's x-men number nine Written by Jerry Duggan, with pencils by C.F. Via, colors by Marta Gracia, and letters by V.C.'s Clayton Cowles. Um, This issue is basically where things are coming to a head for the X-Men. You have the Quiet Council of Krakoa, you have the Great Ring of Morocco, and you have the Central Column of Orcus, and they're all making decisions about going to war, essentially. And while that is all vital and important... Um, and of course, there is a Modoc cameo mm. specifically for Ryan. I think that this was written for Ryan himself. Um, what I'm here for is the drama. The thing that I love about X-Men books is that you can get your battles. You can get your big epic fights. We get a really great one at the beginning of this issue with Orcus, um, Modoc, and Nimrod and crew. But uh even just like a single quiet council meeting could have so many layers of drama to it. It's fantastic. So you have the quiet council deciding whether or not to go to war. Uh, You have the great ring of Morocco led by storm who is killing it once again, uh, deciding whether or not they are going to, uh, resume making war but also whether they're going to rescue red root from other worlds um and then you have just the most delicious mother-in-law son-in-law drama between destiny and gambit with rogue in the mix it is so good oh my god it is 
every single scene, every single panel with Destiny could be a meme just because of how incredible she is. And there is one panel here that I, I know that X Twitter is going to use for just eons to come where I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say Destiny and Gambit are having an exchange and Despite the fact that she is always wearing a mask, she is somehow the most expressive character on every page. Yes. Shout out to Sia on that specifically, because to do exactly what you're talking about and give emotion to a very, like a hard gold mask to, without changing the features, but to still provide them it's it's an incredible feat. It's all in like the, the, like the body acting yeah. and like the angles that it's shot in. It's, shot in like if it's a no, movie but, but yeah. like in the angles that it's drawn in no, like genuinely and it's it is oh, one of those things perfect. that you you don't notice when you're just enjoying the comic if you are just like letting yourself get embroiled in it but because it's so good you don't even have to think about it and it's so it brings you in so closely i was vociferously sending my love about cfv's art to ricky purden our director of talent relations because Ricky works with all of our artists. I'm like, Sia Via, do more, please. Give me more comic by then, please. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I don't, I've never been super familiar with CF's work, but this is that moment where I'm like, oh, hello. Welcome to the dance. Please continue to be making art like this forever. And I think that that, what you were saying, Jasmine, about it, whether it was a Freudian slip or not, this issue and the X-Men comics overall right now, they all feel like they are being planned out so cinematically from the art to the writing. It does feel very film-like because every single movement is so explosive. It comes off of the page. I cannot sing CFVA's praises enough for this issue or just the overall X teams uh, for everything that's going on right now. But also just specifically wanted to highlight how delicious this triumvirate of Destiny, Rogue, and Gambit are in this issue because these three have so much history behind them that you can read off of the page without even having to know all of that backstory. That's my favorite um, part where it's like, oh you don't even need to know what's happened between any of them. Like all you need to know is what's written on the page and it just, you get it right away. Like years of continuity, just boom in one moment. Yeah. But destiny's hatred of Gambit is I, I truly, I tell you this right now. I don't know that I've ever felt this scene in a comic book. Her dialogue <laughs> against Gambit is so delicious. I just, oh, she calls Gambit, you are disappointment made flesh. I just, <laughs> I love her so much. Oh, so good. Really great comic books, which is good because there are 23 issues for us to talk about this week, which means we got to keep this train a rolling. But Jasmine, we have to give out awards. What do we got this week? All right, guys. Um, as always, these were names that were pulled directly from the comic books of this week. If you think that you know which comic book it came from, tweet at us, send us an email, and uh, I think Ryan's going to hook you up with something. Yes. Uh, shout out to Karis again. I, she, she came through. She got the goods. So I, I'm waiting for everybody else. Hit me up. You know where you are. Yes. All right. So here's what I got for this week, all right? I'm going to get your guys' read on it, and then we'll decide at the end. Um, but I have the... I'd rather fight almost anything than farts award. Um, I have the 
you're making me miss Paisley Park Award. And the I Eat My Meat Rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award. It's a long one, but it's very powerful. I mean, I know where I where I sit with this one. Alana, where do you feel? I, I do also know where I sit. I cannot tell if we're sitting in the same place here. Alana, since you are you are the guest host for this episode. Thank you. You're so polite. What do you think? I, I gotta go with I eat my meat rare. Just oh, yes. <laughs> it's gonna be so long. I mean, come on, you two. You could choose farts or you could choose prints, and you chose neither <laughs> of them. How dare you? I was going to choose Prince. Yes. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Paisley Park is Prince's compound. And that's the reference of Iron Man. He's like, but the in mid fight, he's just like, wait, wait, wait. Prince should always be the answer. If you if a question could be answered with Prince, then that is the correct answer. Absolutely. Long ass award. You're going to have to say this every time. Alana, just remember that you did this. It's not too late. You can change your mind. You just can't pick Paisley Park now. Oh, no, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Good for you. Stick to those guns. But we must soldier on because we've got a lot of books to talk about. First up is Alien number 10. And this issue has got just gnarly, gross things happening left, right, and center. But I will give my I Eat My Meat Rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to the xenomorph like creature things that uh, show up later in this issue. They are not your standard regular xenomorphs, which is a reminder that like these, the aliens, they can, they can get inside things other than humans. And when they do, it's very upsetting. And I will leave it at that. And now it is time to go to amazing Spider-Man 91. I got to say, just if you love spider team ups, you will love this issue. But I have got to give the I Eat My Meat Rare as a reminder of the cost of my survival award to another great quote, which is looking at a dinosaur and going, you're extinct. Calm down. Because <laughs> I feel that way often. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Avengers Forever number three. So in this issue, we meet a new team of Avengers from this universe. And on this team, we have a vision that is completely bare bones. Like I'm talking a mechanical walking skeleton. Uh, we have a Moon Knight that is not the Mark Spencer that we know, but Mariama Spectre. We have a Simon Williams, who is a, quote, blood-drenched Wonder Man. And these Avengers are all led by the Tony Stark Ant-Man that we met in the first issue. Uh, but I want to give my... I eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to the best member of this team, the infinity thing. And it's a version of thing, but made up of the infinity gems. And he is so pretty to look mm -hmm. at. Mm -hmm. It is so like simple and such a like clever idea, but also his powers are terrifying. And if you pick up this issue, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about as you get to the end. All right, let's roll this train on with Black Panther number four, which is uh, could have been one of my picks of the week. But I, of course, have to give my I Eat My Meat Rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to artist Juan Cabal for a number of sequences in here. There's a, a sequence in which Shuri is trying to come up with what's going on. She's using technology to dissect someone's fighting stance. And it's just like 
the way that Juan depicts it visually, and I'm sure John Ridley, the writer, has come up with this cool description of it in the script, but the way Juan puts it together in the pages is so awesome. And then later on, there's a fight, and it's done so, as we talked about, cinematically, with very wide, thin panels, and these two characters squaring off. It just, it gives me chills. This book is real good. Next up, we have Captain America Iron Man number four. If you've been following along with this series, uh, this is the book that kind of starts to unravel everything and starts to explain the motivations behind some of these characters. And as we mentioned before, it takes place in Minneapolis, <laughs> which I like a lot uh, because we tend not to see like, you know, the rest of the country. We we always, you know, are focused in New York or L.A. or some of the bigger cities. And in this issue, we get to see a lot of landmarks, including Paisley Park, which I, I really appreciated. But I want to give my I eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to the reveal in this book Mm -hmm. by the most unexpected characters in this entire series. Um, I don't want to give it away and I don't want to spoil it, but my jaw dropped when I found out what was happening. And it's a story that's not only in continuity for Captain America and Iron Man, but it goes back all the way to the Civil War and the 50 States Initiative. And as someone who like originally started reading comics, like on a regular basis around that time, it was, it was just so tasty. Like I was just like, (laughs) this is great. I cannot believe this is happening. It was a long time coming and I'm excited for this last issue. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a special shout out because you mentioned Minneapolis to the song Minneapolis Mm -hmm. by the band That Dog. Well, I guess I'm adding that to my list now. Thank you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Well, next up in this lineup is Daredevil, Woman Without Fear, number three. And I'm going to preface this by saying I'm a Madden Electra fan. I love them together. I'm not at all sorry about it. She gives him permission to sin. He helps her save herself. It's beautiful. Everyone else can cry about it. Um, but in this issue, Electra is on the grounds of my alma mater, Columbia University, and is fighting Craven the Hunter. And I must admit, guys, it was so surreal reading this because the art in this issue got all of the buildings right. Like I took classes in the building that she is running through and it was (laughs) so strange to be reading that. But one thing that is really great about just Devil's Reign overall and the whole like daredevil world that we're in at the moment is that we continue to see chip and everyone question these like hegemonic systems that have always been in place um and i think we're seeing it like throughout all of the like so many of the comics from this month like we have the questioning of religion and alien the superhero status quo in captain america iron man and then we have like questions about the rule of the state in devil's reign and i think that it's a really fascinating through line for marvel comics right now um but i think my i eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award has to be split between um, Electra's hair, once again, because it is always drawn impeccably during this era, um, and the fact that we see um, the statue on College Walk, Alma, that I have climbed many times, many a late night, and I just have to shout that out for all my fellow Columbia alums. We've got uh, more Devil's Reign to talk about this week with Devil's Reign, Spider-Man number one. Uh, And I'm just going to give off the bat my I Eat My Meat Rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to artist Zay Carlos 
and the way Zay draws fashion mm -hmm. in this. There's uh, a whole bunch of characters in here, some characters from beyond who look really cool, got great outfits, just look, as the kids say, good drip. Is that a right thing? Is that a good way? Is there drip? You don't have to on... say good. You can just say drip. You're pushing they, it a little here. <laughs> no, I, I don't understand it and I don't care for it. Uh, so yeah, they've got the drip, including the rose, the uh, the villain in this issue, who the way Zay draws the rose, I'm like, oh man, that is a good looking suit. All right, we've got Devil's Reign X-Men number two this week. I am right away giving my, I eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to the perfect creative symbiosis that exists between writer Jerry Duggan and artist Phil Noto. Going through this again, I'm like, I could have picked this issue as well because holy moly, it is wonderful. Uh, this issue in the series is following uh, Emma Frost and Elektra as um, they're dealing with some repercussions of things that have happened in the past. Really, Elektra is in the past, uh, and we see a younger Emma Frost as she's made some decisions. She had to do some things, and, and how that's affecting her these days, especially as Kingpin is you know, pulling some cards and dealing with some stuff. But there's a moment in here where Emma uses her telepathic abilities and uh, Spider-Man is involved and he's getting into a fight and it's there's bits of funny stuff, but then Emma reads Peter Parker's mind and sees like everything he's gone through. And you get this panel, she says quietly, you were just a bully. Thank you for what you do. And I just like, I, it got me. It got me. It's so flipping good. It is a beautiful issue. Just stop what you're doing. Go buy Devil's Right Next Men right now. Emma for the children, Frost. Yes, yes, yes. I am here for it. She is yes. the best. She's so selfless. Oh, God. I guess now is the time to tear ourselves away from talking about Emma Frost, which I don't know how we're going to do it, uh, and talk about Fantastic Four number 41. Fantastic Four Reckoning War continues to just ramp up the story that has been built up for a very, very long time, and it continues to just have action-packed issue after action-packed issue. My, I eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award goes to the relationship between Reed Richards and Ben Grimm. I know that Reed is the worst. I think Reed is the worst. But um, mm -hmm. this issue has some great moments for the two of them and is really fun to read and is really rather rather meaningful. They, they have a bond that has lasted so many years and uh, this issue does put it to the test a little bit. All right, we've got uh, Moon Knight number nine this week. This gives you a good insight into who Moon Knight is, how he operates, the way he handles problems, he basically goes into a haunted-ish building and deals with it in unorthodox ways. Uh, it is definitely got some weird, scary, gnarly bits to it, but it comes out in the end. I was like, wow, I want to see more of this. It was great. It was a really yeah. fantastic issue. Again, going through it again, could have been one of my picks. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of books that could have also been a pick, uh, next up is She-Hulk number two. This book continues to just be super it's just like a really heartwarming book. It's really fun. It's not only filled with action, but it also has a lot of like just of those slower character building moments. And if you've been, you know, following along with Jack of Hearts and what's been happening with Jack of Hearts lately, you know that he was dead before. And this book starts to kind of explore what happened, how he came back to life. And I do want to give my 
I eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to one amazing reminder in this comic book. Remember to hydrate, guys. Hydrate, jump, hydrate. I've never heard that before and I love it. (laughs) Next up, after that reminder, and I hope all of you listening took a sip of water just then, uh, is Spider-Woman number 20. This issue is continues the Spider-Woman humor award that I'm just giving to this entire series. Um, The Spider-Villain lair in the back room of the Rainforest Cafe is officially where I want to have my wedding now. (laughs) Of course it's in the back of the Rainforest Cafe. Where else would it be? Um, But in this issue, you have a series of supervillains who are all essentially auditioning to be a part of the Iraq Nine, who are a team trying to take down Spider-Woman, who has apparently wronged all of them. Uh, And my I Eat My Meat Rare as a Remember the Great Cost of My Survival Award must go to this Greek course of villains. They're just so chaotic and so bumbling, but also so amusing throughout this issue. The other one thing to note is my favorite line, uh, which is, many people have brothers and hate Spider-Woman, including (laughs) Spider-Woman. Yes. (laughs) And that's like a fight happening between like the brothers Grimm and Los Espadas Hermanos. And it's just like, it's perfect. Um, Next up on our list is Star Wars number 21 and the Dameron family hive activate. This is such a great spotlight for Shara Bay, a character that I've grown to love recently. She is just so cool. Um, And Kess Dameron and Shara Bay make me believe in love again. So that's great. (laughs) These two just break my heart and put it back together again. So if you want to believe in love, Read Star Wars number 21. My I Eat My Meat Rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award goes to the tiny little Poe Dameron shout out. Because it made me so happy. Next up, we have Star Wars The High Republic Eye of the Storm number two. And I right off the bat want to give out my I Eat My Meat Rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to artist Guillermo Sana and colorists Antonio Fabella and Jim Campbell because there's a planet this crew lands on that is completely covered in this spectrum of colors. And it's not just like your your typical, you know, prism-esque type spectrum. It's very colorful, bright, and almost neon. And if you were to flip through the pages of this book without having any context to what's going on, I guarantee you, your eyes would just immediately pick this page up because it is such a stunner. And really like pulls you in like I immediately saw it and was like all right I need to know what's going on here I want to know what's going on Mm -hmm. and it's such a great book it's so pretty yeah nothing like some good art to just propel you forward which brings me to another Star Wars the High Republic book Star Wars the High Republic number 15 where I also want to give my I eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to these stunning colors in this book Big shout out to colorist Carlos Lopez on this book because the first two pages of Star Wars, The High Republic number 15 are this beautiful, surreal, like almost watercolory fluid art that's just evoking somehow both like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and also the true nightmare that is happening on page. (laughs) 
um, in a really effective way. It's body horror through beauty, um, which is the best kind of body horror because you're like- At least make it pretty. At least make it pretty, right? Yeah. Um, And it's very well done. This is um, actually the conclusion of phase one of Star Wars The High Republic. And uh, the ending of this issue just really makes you just so satisfied, but also you can't wait to see what's next in this world that is being built uh, within The High Republic. So definitely suggest picking it up, but also going back if you haven't read High Republic number one, this is, it's a solid, chunk of star wars to read star wars high republic number one through number 15 so definitely a great issue and as always gotta shout out my boy cover artist phil noto bringing it once again there's no one i love in this world more than phil noto and i know that he does not know that but i would tell him that to his face All right, let's talk about the thing number five, the penultimate issue of this limited series. Tom Riley, come on. Just, I can't stop thinking about Tom Riley's art, his panel layouts, his uh, work with Ben Grimm, what he does in here. Um, But I will give my, I eat my meat rare as a reminder of the great cost of my survival award to the big revelations in here. Um, This one, we've, we've had this build about what's going on with the characters, the world, what's where Ben Grimm fits in with all this. And there are two big moments in here towards the end. Not only that, there's a certain uh, favorite character of mine who shows up in here, but um, this one, this is my favorite issue of this limited series so far. Next up, we have 10 lives of Wolverine number four. This continues Logan's trek through the past as he tries to save Xavier from Omega Red. Um, And this is real, this is genuine. The other night I had a dream after reading this issue where I was just talking to a random friend of mine and all of a sudden the Omega Red issue uh, logo appeared on their forehead and their arse glowing red. This is a reoccurring nightmare at this point. So that speaks to just the art and the storytelling of this entire series that Ben Percy is crafting. Um, It's genuinely scary. And the conceit of the whole thing is just brilliantly structured uh, and continues week after week to bring another punch forward. Um, And his characterization of Logan is just pitch perfect throughout this event if there's one thing this boy is going to do it's brood and he broods perfectly <laughs> brood are gonna brood all right let's dive over into infinity comics we got a whole bunch this week uh, available on marvel unlimited life of wolverine number seven marvel fairy tales number three spiderbot number 12 uh, x-men unlimited number 24 but the shining star here this week is the launch of Marvel Meow Infinity Comic. Alana, you're very excited about that one. I am so excited for Marvel Meow. It's just adorable, guys. There's no other way to put it. You have Marvel superheroes. You have cats. What more could you ask for, people? Um, Over in collections, we have a couple books coming out as well. We have Excalibur Volume 4 by Teeny Howard, X-Men Volume 1 by Jerry Duggan, um, and The Darkhold, um, which I would highly recommend picking up if you want to learn more about that particular Marvel artifact. Mm. Well said. And on Marvel Unlimited, uh, other books to note, Hulk number one, big launch there. Black Panther number one, big launch there. 
the X-Force Killshot Anniversary Special. That's a hoot and a holler. You definitely have to check that out. Uh, those and so much. Oh, Life Day, the Star Wars Life Day <laughs> issue. A lot of fun. Uh, the first issue of the Hawkeye Kate Bishop series. So much more hitting Marvel Unlimited this week. So get your subscription up and running and go read some comic books. And while you're reading those, maybe you should read Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur numbers one through six from 2015, because that's what we're talking about with editor Lauren Bissom, who has a really cool background in publishing and creating stories for younger readers, um, both graphic fiction and prose. It's a lot of fun. All right, Alana, are you ready to do a reading club for Marvel's pull list? Ryan, I have never been more ready in my life. Ooh, I like that. That's good energy, which I am excited you're bringing to this episode because our reading club is about a modern classic, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the first six issues. And we are delighted to be joined by one of Marvel Comics editors, Lauren Bissom. Hello, Lauren. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Alana. Hello. I want to know, before we even get into the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur of it all, were you a comic book reader when you were younger? And if so, do you remember your comic book shop? No, I was not. Unfortunately, I came to comics much later in life. I think the first comic I ever picked up was a dusty old like DC young romance comic that was my mm -hmm. mother's that I found. I'm going to say it must have been in like fifth or sixth grade and loved that. Did not age great, I will say, <laughs> but I think that was my first comic I ever read. And then I really didn't touch graphic novels or comics again until I was already in book publishing, working in children's publishing when I was at Simon & Schuster. One of the designers was really into comics and he handed me Sweet Tooth, which was a really interesting entry point for me in comics. When I was working at Macmillan, I was next to the offices of First Second and one of their marketing people Gina Gagliano, who became the publisher of Random House Graphics, started like slipping graphic novels under my door when I was a young editor. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of how I realized I love comics and graphic novels. Runaways was my first comic comic I couldn't put down, I will say. But given that, I've always wanted to make sure that younger people find comics earlier than I did, because they're so much fun. So basically, you're doing the Lord's work, and we appreciate you. For little Lauren, who really didn't understand that I could read something beyond, like, why middle grade for a long time. I want to get into your role at Marvel, how you, you came over to the House of Ideas, and what you do as the senior editor of Marvel's juvenile publishing programs. Before, I mean, as I mentioned, I was in traditional children's publishing prior to comics. I did everything from, like, board books and picture books to YA novels which was a lot of fun. And then right as I was looking to kind of leap into graphic novels, DC Comics, our other lovely competitor, uh, posted a job about launching a YA and middle grade line over there. So I went there and helped launch that, which was a lot of fun. It was all graphic novels. It was all DC characters, but it was in California. So <laughs> it was exciting when... Um, Marvel had this opportunity. I came to Marvel and kind of got to do everything I did previously in traditional publishing, working with licensed partners on board books and picture books and YA novels featuring Marvel's best and brightest. 
and then also getting to do the graphic novels and comics that I grew to love so much while at CC. So it was kind of a melding of both worlds of what had all previously come before in my career. What are some of the projects you've been working on over here? So on our licensing side, we launched a really awesome partnership with Scholastic last year. And we did a Miles Morales graphic novel called Shockwaves, written by Justin Reynolds, illustrated by Pablo Leone. And that was our first launch title. It was super fun to work on that graphic novel. It's a 128-page story, perfect for all readers, definitely geared towards the younger set. That was just a blast. And then on the comic side, we're just wrapping up an arc of Miss Marvel on the regular side. So that's being written by Samira Ahmed, who this is her first comic. She's previously written a bunch of YA and middle grade novels, one of which was Internment came out a few years ago after reading Samira's work. I knew she just had such a good ear for dialogue that I knew she'd be able to easily make the leap to comics and also like the fun action story pacing. So that's been a really fun story to work with her on, currently being drawn by Andres Ganelet. So one other question that I feel like I always have to ask people as we talk about our roles at Marvel, but do you have a personal favorite Marvel character who you connect with? I'm going to have to say it's Moon Girl. It's one of the reasons I chose this. I love her whole story so much, especially this first volume. She's one of those characters that never doubts herself. Or when she does, it's always interior. And then she pushes past it and she's like, no, I'm, of course I'm right. I'm Lunella. There's no other way around it. She knows herself really well. And I love that about her. I love her confidence, even as a nine-year-old. I also love, uh, which is, this is a great segue to get us into talking about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. One of the things I, I've dug through reading the series as it was coming out and, and starting to go back to it for this was Lunella feels very much like a Marvel character in that like she's flawed. She is very human. She is not just like, oh, she's a nine-year-old, so she's just happy because hello, Kids are not just happy all the time. She is moody. She is like very headstrong. She feels like a very well-drawn character. And, you know, sometimes she rubs people the wrong way. But you know what? That's what happens. Totally agree. I think her grumpiness, it just makes her moments of just like compassion for her fellow man, especially her fellow uh, Lower East Siders, like all the more sweet too. Because even though she has a super bristly exterior, at the end of the day, she has the heart of the hero. And that's something that she never loses sight of, really. She always makes the right decision in the end. And thinking about just what young readers relate to, there's nothing that younger reader will relate to more than just thinking, no, no one else understands me. I, no one else sees what's going on inside my head. And I feel like that's something that you really feel with Lunella is like, she has such a rich interior thought process that no one else understands. And that's so relatable to people who are at this age where they feel like every new emotion is something that no one has ever felt before. I mean, that in her red dinosaur, I mean, <laughs> the best sidekick ever. Natasha Buzos in this first one, she draws devil's facial expression so well that every time I like tear up rereading the story 
I want to give Osunela, but especially Devil, a hug every time. Not sure how I would accomplish it, but I'd figure something out. Like, is it normal to feel like you want to adopt a dinosaur? Yes. I feel like that's that's just a universal feeling. Hard yes. <laughs> Hi, producer Jasmine here. But I want to just come in on this conversation only because I a hard agree. But also, it's funny because I'm curious if Natasha has a dog in her life only because so many of the facial expressions that I see so many of the like actions that devil dinosaur has reminds remind me so much of my dog bear everything from like when he gets really excited and his tail's wagging really fast or like tapping his feet out of just sheer eagerness like I've realized (laughs) that my 100 pound dog is probably also part dinosaur at this point there's one moment I think it's on the second issue of this run where like he taps his feet because he thinks he hears Lunella and I'm just like that is every Instagram cute animal video that I'm advertised (laughs) on a daily basis and I click through on each and every one of those videos. Have you all ever seen the How to Train Your Dragon films? Yes. It's the same thing. Same thing. As someone who has cats, I very much look at Toothless and I'm like, oh, those are my cats. And I, a lot of it is anthropomorphizing on both sides of things, but it's, it's so true. And it's, I love it. That's a great connection point too for readers, mm-hmm. for fans to when you start to have that association, it just brings you closer to these books like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the first issue of which was released and this blew my freaking mind November of 2015. So it is over 6 years old. All of these issues that we're talking about were written by Brandon Montclair and Amy Reader, art by the aforementioned Natasha Bustos, colors by Tamara Bond-Villain, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So, Lauren, do you remember the first time you read this? Did you get it in a collection? Did you read the first issue? What was it? I read it in a collection. I'm pretty sure I read it in preparation for my Marvel interview, for being honest, (laughs) because I was like, what kids' books does Marvel have? And I'm like, this looks like a child. I'm going to pick up this book. Because I really couldn't put it down. It was the one where the whole volume felt so contained. It felt like it could be the first in a graphic novel series. And I'm like, I get this. Fantastic. So what we want to do is give a little summary for our listeners. But we do, of course, encourage everyone to go check out these issues on Marvel Unlimited. Request them from your local library. Or, of course, support your local comic shop. So there's many ways to read this series. So in the first issue, we meet Lunella Lafayette. She is a nine-year-old girl. She lives in the Lower East Side, and she is super freaking smart. And she realizes that she's different. She finds out that she um, has the inhuman gene in her, and there is a cloud of pterogen mist going around the city. And if she inhales it, it will react with what's in her genes, and she will change. And she doesn't know what she's going to change into. She is scared. She's trying to find a way around it. She finds this thing called the OmniWave Projector, which is a big, wonderful MacGuffin piece of technology that is something that is uh, tied to the Kree and tied to cosmic Huzuma Watsits. It gets triggered and she uses the device to summon this gang from the prehistoric past an unnamed number of years ago. And uh, this group, they're called themselves the Killer Folk. And also Devil Dinosaur, we get a cameo from the original Moon Boy because Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur was created by Jack Kirby back in the 70s. Wonderful Kirby creations brought into uh, the modern era. So Moon Boy is just like, avenge me. Probably would sound like, wah, 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 something <laughs> like that. And uh, so we get to see 
Devil Dinosaur and the Killer Folk arrive into the modern day, and it's just the start of a wonderful adventure. From a storytelling perspective as as a like editor, it must have been fun to see the world building just in this first issue. I knew a little bit about Terrigen Mist because I had read Miss Marvel previously, mm-hmm. and that was like the great entry point of like telling me how that piece all worked. And so this is actually a really good volume to pick up on the right after you finish, like say the first volume of Miss Marvel. They kind of align really well. And that really opened up the world of Marvel to me in a way as a reader and seeing that natural expansion, yet still making it such an accessible story with a brand new character and a super old character like Devil Dinosaur and seeing how the creative team was able to like reintroduce Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy to a whole new generation of readers. I found really fascinating. When you're working on these types of things, do you feel that you need to integrate that context directly when you're introducing either a new character or a new story with an old character like this? How much context do you feel a young reader needs going into it? I think it's always a balancing act because you never want to crowd the page with too much backstory and just words because you really want a lot of the art to do the storytelling you know basic show not tell but at the same time there's one piece where it explains the difference between the small folk and the killer folk in the first flash back and it's just like one sentence but thank goodness for that sentence because I'm like there's a whole history here that I don't understand and this lets me know that there's a history and it's so particular to Marvel comics I don't always appreciate them I don't always go back and read the one they're referring to, but it's great to know that that is a point. If I get confused, I can always go back and look at it. But it also gave me just just enough context that it didn't slow me down in the story at all. All right, let's dive into Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number two. We've really got them in this issue, I believe, uh, Moon Girl and, and Devil sort of connecting a lot more, although Lunella is, she's not very happy with Devil Dinosaur. And she's <laughs> like, why are you trying to eat me? Are you going to eat me? You're not going to eat me? Well, get out of here. And like, he gets all sad and pouty. And it's, I think, the moment where, you know, like you can hear the sad music playing and it's very wonderfully melodramatic and cinematic in a lot of places. Two is the issue in which the killer folk, the bad guys, they observe a bunch of people in the subway watching them use money and their clothes and how they function. And then they off camera rob a whole bunch of people for their clothes and their money and pop out of the subway. And one of my favorite shots of the series is the killer folk with their new clothing on just like strutting their stuff. It's a very funny moment on top of all the other stuff that's going on. I also just love the detail of how you have all of these New Yorkers being stereotypical, rude New Yorkers, where they're just like, get me this, get me that. No pleases, no thank yous. (laughs) Also, I love that moment when they come back out of the subway and there's just that one quote, like, just who do you think you are that Lunella says that pulls us into the next scene. And like, man, that was so perfectly placed right next to them. It makes that panel just feel even more iconic. Like I could hear music playing in the background and I feel this is the issue where we really get to know Devil Dinosaur as like his own entity because, I mean, Lunella is captured at one point. So we get this nice moment of just Devil and he's looking around for her. And I feel like that's really the moment where readers connect with him. Also, when Lunella is using her little gadget, uh, the toy for him to like chase, 
is we get like the great moment of like, oh, Lunella has so many amazing inventions and they're just always on her person even before she becomes a superhero. She not just has like so many amazing inventions, but it's also when you see her like there is truly a dinosaur carrying her around New York City and she is just fully ready to boss him around. She will have none of his nonsense. It's tremendous. One of the things about this series is we we really jump in in media res and Moon Girl Lunella is on her path and we just bump into her right before she gets to meet devil and we're introduced to it in this issue her secret headquarters that she has already built underneath the school (laughs) she has built herself like a secret passageway in one of the girls bathrooms in a toilet stall that she can shimmy down go down and then she's got like equipment computers all of her like experiment stuff everything that she builds she's got this great secret place and it's we don't need to get into her building this it is just there it's a lot of fun It is the genius nine-year-old version of eating your school lunch in a bathroom because you don't have any friends. And one thing that I absolutely love about this series is that it is really just like a metaphor for growing up. She's scared she's going to turn into an human at any moment, and she's not ready for her body to change. Like she has this dinosaur that is following her around. There's a secret that she feels like, no one else can handle or manage. It really is taking all of these pent up childhood emotions and just like making them a dinosaur, making them your inhuman gene. I mean, and alongside like changing bodies, it's also like so much of her identity is wrapped up into her genius. That is who she sees herself as. And at this moment in time for Lunella, there's no room for other identities which I find really interesting for that character. There's just one she's focused on and anything else to her feels like it's diluting her core. She has to find nuance that she doesn't really have yet. In this issue, we also get to see Lunella and Devil act as like true heroes. And it's only on issue three and she's already just becoming a better person with Devil by her side. Then we get our special appearance character at the very end. I like that he doesn't come in until she's and devil have actually already saved the day. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that they were able to have this really big first superhero moment together. It leads us right into the next issue, issue number four, which is primarily Hulk versus devil dinosaur and a big throwdown Hulk kind of looking down and really like not giving Lunella her just desserts. And like, she's smarter than him. And And he's the eighth smartest person in the world, as he likes to say. We have established Lunella is the smartest person in the Marvel Universe. So even though she's only nine, she's still above him, but he does not want to hear it. So we get a lot of great conflict in this issue. It's a lot of fun. And it lets Natasha also do some big action in this one. And it's also another moment of character development for Lunella because it's like her brain is moving too fast for the rest of her. And she's thinking and she's like saying all of these things, but then she has to take a step back and say, no, wait, I have to actually think about this. I can't just take action at this moment. And she sees some responsibility for the actions that she takes because she is sort of at fault for why Totally Awesome Hulk is able to defeat Devil Dinosaur in the end. She moves too quickly and doesn't think about her actions. Issue five, um, we've got Devil Dinosaur caged. We've got Lunella trying to be good and and sort of like 
show her parents that she's not going to sneak out. Then she sneaks out and it's great, but she's, she's really concerned. And this is like the heightened fear about the Terrigen and changing out of her control. And she's got alarms going off. We actually see the Terrigen mist affect someone else in the city. So there's really great heightened tension there, but I want to shine the spotlight on one of my favorite pages from the, these issues that we've read it's Lunella getting ready. And it's like this little montage bit where she's getting her, her suspenders on, her boots on, her goggles and everything. And her monologue, interior monologue is saying, my parents, my teachers, the Hulk, they all told me to do the right thing. But it's their idea of right, not mine. I'm going to get my Omniwave projector back from the Killer Folk. I'm going to cure the Terrigen transformations. But first, I'll rescue my friend. I can't send him back, but maybe I can get him out of the city and set him free. And it's just like... Her asserting everything, you just you're like, yes, go Lunella, go. I love that bit. It is beautifully drawn. It is perfectly paced. It's one of my favorites of the of the series. I mean, it's also where she reclaims her name, Moon Girl. It's no longer you know something a mean kid in class is calling her. She's like, I'm gonna own this. This is me. I'm gonna make this name powerful. And what a hero origin! You're taking your name back. You are saving a dinosaur from the secret lair of a museum of natural history. Like that is how I would want to become a hero. <laughs> yeah. Also, when we see that person encased in the chair gymnast, that really ups the level of excitement and anticipation that really builds. It's kind of like this great moment where it's just so much is converging and coming together and it really propels you into these final two issues. Yeah. And the the last beats of this one where now we've got Lunella, we've got Dinosaur, they've you know, they're together. She's reclaimed her name and she says, I'm Moon Girl. No. I'm Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. What a partnership. Yeah. All right. Final issue of this first arc is an important one because we get to see, you know, Lunella's mom is very like, she's very frightened for her kid. She's their killer folk are like terrorizing people. They've messed with her. And so she wants to make sure Lunella is okay. But it's important because it actually shows Lunella's mom what she's all about. She has like an almost like, superhero coming out beat here which is really wonderful and it doesn't absolve her in her mother's eyes but at least it shows her that like she is who she says she is and what she claims to be which is really fun there's also a great not my daughter moment where despite all of these feelings that my parents just don't understand we do get that reconciliation where you're like oh okay mom does love me Mom struggles to understand me, but like she would stand in front of the killer folk when we were being threatened. Mm -hmm. And this leads to the big throwdown between uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and the killer folk on top of a building in the middle of Manhattan. And there's a great panel in here where Lunella is riding on top of Devil and the, the killer folk are all around. And Lunella has all her gadgets and she has her boxing glove on a spring and then go spring and it's like a couple of panels and one of the killer folk who's got a policeman's hat he's ridiculous he's got this look <laughs> on his face and the the look on his face the way natasha draws it the fist coming at him and it goes right past him and that look of sheer terror and the sweat beating down his face is so much fun she wasn't aiming for him she was aiming for the projector but i thought it's really really spectacular storytelling even the details where his toes are poking out of the top <laughs> tip of his shoes <laughs> like it's every little detail and they're such like compact panels too 
the big closing moments of this issue are uh, her fears were founded. We end this issue with Lunella on a uh, a rooftop, the Terrigen mist swirling around her. And then she's turned into a little Terrigen egg. And then sweet, sweet boy devil dinosaur gently picks her up, takes her back to the lab and like waits with her. It's so sweet. I love when he curls around her, but also like what a way to end a first arc where I immediately picked up the next one. I was like, what is her power? We won't get too into it, but they drag that on a lot. And I'm like, but what is her power? I would say for everybody who uh, reads along with us for this series, like Lauren did, keep reading, keep getting in there. You can read the whole series on Marvel Unlimited. If you're uh, dedicated enough, of course, you'll get to issue number 33 with the best cover of the run. Don't let him do that to you guys. <laughs> That's the cover with him in the office. Yes. It's oh, a picture I'm, I'm of familiar. him. Yes. I know it's not the best cover. It is truly the best cover because it is it not. Don't let him do that. Gives me a snapshot of what my desk looked like spring of 2018. Well, I'll leave it to say that if you, dear listener, continue to read Moon Girl, we have a whole lot in store coming up for her with. Not one, but maybe two new series. Ooh, mm. give us more of them teases. Tease, 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 please. Plus a graphic novel for kids that will be tied into the cartoon that is coming up, I want to say next summer, but I will have to double check my dates as I am now away from my desk. So lots of Moon Girl in your future. And also, if you love Natasha's beautiful art as much as I do, if your kids love Natasha's, beautiful art as much as we do um she also contributed to a scholastic graphic novel that will be out in this coming spring i believe april um and that is a black panther graphic novel into the heartlands by roseanne a brown and natasha illustrates more than half of the graphic novel i'm so excited for what we're doing for our younger readers it's it's tremendous it's what we need to do i'm glad that it's actually good quality content for our audience i thank you (laughs) thank you lauren for the good quality content (laughs) me and the whole team behind me and also our awesome partners and awesome awesome authors lauren thanks a bunch really nice talking to you guys thanks so much lauren thank you lauren All right, big thanks again to Lauren for coming on the show, talking about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, teasing up some of the projects that she's working on for Marvel. Um, If you are like me and have younger Marvel fans, you know, it's a wide range um, that we have stories for, but there's never been a better time to, um, to get younger readers and fans hooked on Marvel comics and Marvel books and Marvel characters. So it's exciting. Yeah, and I'm excited for some of those teases that she uh, mentioned in that reading club. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. And a big thank you to you, Alana, for coming back on, doing some co-hosting duties. Uh, I'm sure all of Marvel social media has fallen apart in the couple of hours we've been doing this. So, (laughs) Ryan, you're making me anxious. Oh, God. But no, it (laughs) it was an absolute pleasure. But it was my first pull list with you, Ryan. Oh, Yeah, it's true. Well, this is great. And... uh, I can't wait for all of the comics that are coming out in the next few weeks. I can't wait for you guys to read all of them because we love them. So we can't wait to hear what you think. 
All right, that is a wrap for us. This episode of Marvel's Fullest was produced by Ryan Panagos, Lana Hernson, and Jasmine Estrada. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Fullest Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. And uh, Brad, as a dad, uh, he is constantly, constantly fighting farts. So that's, <laughs> just, uh, that's just the way of the world. What a struggle. The funny thing is, it's not even his kids' farts. It's his own. He's just trying to hold them in. Brad, I wasn't trying to do that to you. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Jasmine. I'm Alana. And this is Marvel. Your, Your universe. universe. Ooh, Ooh, well done. I like that. <laughs>